Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Tsunari's podcast. I'm Timmy. This is my co-host, James. And today we have a very special guest, Mike Yolen. Mikey's 24 years of age um, and he's going to talk about his experience with mental health issues and addiction to alcohol and drugs and how he's getting on now in his life. Yeah, uh, nice one for having me on the show, boys. You're more um, than welcome. Thanks for meeting us up in Churchfield. Thanks um, delighted, by, delighted to be here and delighted to get a chance to speak about my journey with mental health and my journey with addiction and stuff. Like, I yeah. feel like it's a topic that's not spoke about enough and it should be spoke about more. And where, um, you, where are you from yourself, Mikey? I'm from Balfihan originally, like... Uh, Balfihan? Balfihan, south side. Oh. A lot better than the north side. Like. <laughs> Lucky I came up here, to be honest. But, like, but um, yeah, from the south side originally. Um, I grew up, my family home, like, you know what I mean? My mother, my my dad, my two brothers. Um, my mum and dad always done everything for us, like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they gave us everything, like, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, I grew up with no kind of... There's no addiction or nothing in my original house, like, do you know what I mean? In, in, my, in my house at home, like, but, like, I did have people close to me that I'd see on the regular that would be struggling with addiction and stuff, like, and, and struggling with it, and, and I could see that, like, do you know what I mean? Mm. And from a really young age, I kind of took on the thing that, like, I was always going to try to help them, like, you know, I'd see them outside the pub and they'd be like, don't tell your dad this, and, and I'd be like, all right, all right, all right, do you know what I mean? And I wouldn't go home and I wouldn't tell my dad and stuff. And that's went down for years, you know what I mean, seeing them in states and stuff like, and like, you know, I said I was never going to be like them, but in the back of my head, I kind of looked up to that lifestyle a little bit, like, do you know what I mean? Kind of looked up to that gangster, as I call it, lifestyle, sunglasses at two o'clock on Christmas morning, do you know what I mean? Christmas day, like, do you yeah. know what I mean? That kind of thing, like. Yeah, and we can definitely identify with that, yeah. you know, it's just being attracted to the negativity. 100%. And kind of having that, them type of people up on a pedestal. Um, and yeah, no, me and Timmy talked about that at length. Yeah. So, have you any siblings? I have two brothers. I have one older, one younger, Sean and Chris. Again, no problem with drink. Um, my little brother now, Sean, he's a Thai boxer. If he drank three times a year, now it would be Max, like he's 22. Yeah. I think he's 22. Yeah, he's 22. And my older brother, Chris, he sure he gave up drink for when he was doing his college, for four years in college, he just gave it up. Yeah. And now he's qualified as his Masters of Architecture, like, do you know what I mean? But obviously, I wasn't like the two boys. Like, well, you had a lot um, to play up to there. Uh, the older brother, like the architect. I don't have to play up to anything, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just put myself, like, and I am me, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's it, like. But, um, so I suppose, I only started getting into, like, drugs. I didn't get into them too early, like, do you know what I mean? Because, like, I think from, a big thing for me since I was young was an ego, like, do you know what I mean? Like, a, a big thing for me, like, do you know what I mean? And, like, when I was young, in school and stuff, like, I got into boxing, like, do you know what I mean? Because, like, you know, after doing so much work on myself and stuff, talking to so many coaches and stuff, I kind of realised that I needed this ego of being a boxer, uh, this kind of stuff. Due to the fact that I was always the smallest in my class, I was always the smallest in the situation, and I used to think I needed to prove myself to people. Do you know what I mean? To mm. prove myself that I, that I could look after myself and stuff like. And I, I just, I never even thought of this now until I was working with counselors and stuff throughout. And now I can see it happening. I can see it coming up. This ego thing so many times in my life, even still today. Like, um, so like I trained kind of a good bit throughout my years. Like, so I didn't really get into drugs until I was about sixteen or seventeen. Like, um. Started off, like, smoking joints with the lads on the weekend, do you know what I mean? Nothing major, like, drinking every now and again and stuff, like. And before I knew it, like, it went from smoking weed one day a week to smoking weed seven days a week to taking pills at the weekend to taking coke at the weekend to taking any drug I could get my hands on, like. And within the space of a year, I was gone from smoking a joint once on the weekend with the lads to taking drugs every day of the week, seven days a week, and drinking seven days of the week. 
was it causing trouble for you at home? It was causing trouble for me at home because, again, as I say, my dad knew the situation in the story with drugs, like, and he could see it from a mile away, but my mother didn't, like, do you know what I mean? And I was playing the two of them off each other, like, and and to be honest, like, I'd done some horrible things to my family under the influence of drinking drugs, and I'd done horrible things to them to get money and other things for drinking drugs. Um, and, like, I started to hate myself, like, as a person, like, I started to hate the person I'd become on drinking drugs, do you know what I mean? Like, um, I stole from them, I punched them, I'd go missing for fucking weeks on end, and I didn't care, like, do you know what I mean? I didn't. Um, and due to all this, and due to the excess of drug use and drink use, I started to hate myself, like, the self-hatred really kicked in, like, um, I hated myself, I hated who I'd become, the dark thoughts started, the negative thoughts started, the self-hatred, the guilt, the shame, of of everything I'd done, mm. and what did I do to, for this? I took more drink, and I drank, or I drank more, and I took more drugs to try suppress how I felt, mm. to suppress what was going on in my head about how I felt about myself. Yeah, I like, thought the only way was to drink more and to take more drugs. That's normal, isn't it? Is to to suppress all those feelings. You're just going to take more. You know, the body at this stage knows getting yeah. kind of addicted to these substances as well and chemicals, you know. Yeah. So it's a completely normal thing to want more and more and more. I could definitely associate with that. Uh, and I think you say something very valid there as well. You know, when people look at 16, 17, 18 drug users, they, they think, oh, he haven't, you know, he's uh, selfish or hedonistic or he doesn't give a shit about anybody but himself. But you're not there about. Yeah, you did live a lifestyle like that, but there was a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and self hate. Like we do internalize that that that, that stuff. Like when you are taking drugs and causing harm to your family, it, it might look from the outside that you don't give a shit, but you actually do, and it drives you into deeper drug use, doesn't it? You can you can't talk about you you can't bring yourself to talking about it. Like you you can't like you just it's an ongoing battle of chasing your fucking tail with drugs. Like do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. You have the image as well. You have this image to live up to as well, particularly if you're one of the boys, like, and you build up this form of reputation for yourself. 100%. Like, like, think to drop an identity, you know, that kind of macho yeah. ident- identity. Again, another ego, like, do you know what I mean? Another ego. Do you know what? I could get drugs in a load of places, and, like, if someone asked me for them, I'd make sure to go get a for them and stuff just so I'd have that fucking ego of me selling drugs. Do you know what I mean? This kind of shit, like might get mm. a small bit for myself out of it, whatever and stuff like but like the more I took drugs the less I cared about where I was getting the money for the drugs who the fuck I owed money to mm. what trouble I was going to get myself in overtaking these drugs when I knew I wouldn't have the money to pay for them I didn't care and I got myself in some situations with some people over that get a hiding and I wouldn't care I'd do the same thing again the next day because I needed them, like, I, I thought I needed them. I thought I needed two sweets and a joint to walk down to the shop and get a fucking packet of skin so I could come home and smoke more. I thought I needed a bag of coke so I could go out and talk to someone. I thought I needed a drink just to fuel every day. And, like, I was working throughout this period for a little bit, like, and, you know, I was working a few jobs and I'd take more coke in the day than I'd make in the day's work going in there, like. Mm. And this went on for a long time and I thought it was the normal, like. Mm. Taking drugs and work, drinking and work, freaking out and work, fucking off, being unreliable, like. Yeah. It escalated fairly fast, didn't it? Do you know, the, the drug use, you know, from when you started initially, then to where you are now, really. In the space of a year, I was gone from one day a week to seven. Mm. One day to seven, in the space of a year, and, like, you don't even see it. You can't see the progression, like. You it can't, just creeps like, in on you, like. I remember back in, you know, before the heroin days and here. Yeah. We used to, we were all kind of working and we used to meet on a Thursday evening and it used to be called Thirsty Thursday and we'd all get a bag of cans each and drink outside when the boys' gaffes, you know, and have a laugh, you know. Then when heroin started coming on the scene, we started, you know, after the few cans, we'd be snaking off getting bags of gear and smoking it on the tin file. So after a few weeks of that then, the cans... Before we knew it, there was no more cans. It was just fucking... Right. And the Thursday Thursday turned into Tinfile Thursday in about five or six weeks. And before you know it, by everybody just started doing their own thing. And, like, it's only looking back then, 
you're looking at how it just creeps in, you know, and you're oblivious to it until you're actually strung out in the depth, and then you're looking back and saying, fucking hell, I actually had no awareness when that was actually happening. It just yeah. creeps up on you, like it escalates. 100%. Definitely, yeah. It's the same with cocaine. Yeah. Like, I didn't need drug drink to use cocaine. It was, it was the same as yourself. He was going to work. He was either coke habit going to work. And you're going out there and you're probably getting paid, what, anything between 100 euros to 150. And you're probably putting 300 euros up your nose in that yeah, them few hours. Like, yeah. You know, and you're going around the place then and you can't even look at whoever you're working with. I could never make eye contact with people after cocaine. You know, and I never knew the effects of the cocaine to, like, I, I start my mental health either. I start to get really paranoid. You know, you spoke about it there. You did it two tablets and a joint to go out to the shop. I couldn't even go out to the shop. Yeah. You know, I couldn't even answer my phone towards the end. You know, because I can really associate with you, you know. But anyway, go on. So, like, yeah, do you know what I mean? The drugs kept coming, the drink kept hitting, and my mental health started to drop, like. The dark thoughts were there for a while, and then I came to suicidal thoughts. Um suicidal thoughts every now and again to suicidal thoughts every day to numerous suicide attempts um like I remember there after one or two of my suicide attempts like I've tried to hang myself caught myself overdosed the works and I'd wake up the next day from it and I'd say you can't even fucking kill yourself right like mm. and even to say that now is tough like do you know what I mean yeah. But, but but it's how I felt about myself at the time, like. What age are you at this stage, Mikey? Twenty, twenty one years of age, like. You're a brave man, Mikey, and I'll tell you that now straight up. Yeah. You know like, there's no twenty years of age I wanted to take my own life, like. And I, I saw no other way than to take my own life. And um I didn't see any way out, like. I didn't like I, I thought that was the way I was going and and that's the way it was going in, like. And, uh, do you know what? It was actually my last suicide attempt. Do you know, I was in my friend's house. It was downstairs. They were all gone. And I looked across and I seen what was there. If I took them, that I wasn't waking up, like. I mean, and I opened the full ta- pack and I took the 100 tablets. And, and I didn't ring anyone. I didn't text anybody. I didn't ring fucking Tom, Dick, Harry. I didn't even know it. I didn't want it even. I just wanted... I thought that was the only way I'd get away from the thoughts that were going on in my head. I thought that was the only way I could get out of my head and out of the dark thoughts and out of these suicidal thoughts and away from myself, like. And I woke up 14 hours later and ended up in intensive care. The whole inside of my stomach line was after coming up. They had me on a list for a liver transplant. Um, I, you know, and I was up in the hospital every single morning. I was there, my parents at the end of my bed, like. Every single morning, like, and... They must have been heartbroken. But I was shouting and roaring at them, like, I was telling them, leave, I didn't want them here, do you know what I mean? I didn't. And after everything I'd done to them over the years and stuff, the shit I caused to them, the shit I caused the fucking house, the trouble I drew on the house, they were still there for me. Mm. And I, I had a few friends come up to me and visit me, like, and... I couldn't believe it, there was people there... Mm. that actually wanted do you know what I mean that, that cared for me and they'd come up and see me and they were asking things because this was a few days now this would have been the first few days in about six years that I hadn't had drinking drugs in my system like these few days like and I was crying up there every day and I still wanted to kill myself and I didn't want to be there I was telling nurses I didn't want to be alive and and it was up there in the hospital bed where I, I made the most important decision of my life like do you know my dad mentioned to me about treatment so I didn't know what the fuck I was getting myself into, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I thought I was going to something like jail, do you know what I mean? Mm. <coughs> Sorry. I thought I was going to be up in my room, I come down from my count session and I go back up to my room and that was it, like, but by fuck, I got a shock when I went down to Table Lodge, like, mm. my God, like. Mm. Do you know why I'm laughing? I was the exact same as yourself. <laughs> I thought I was going in, I thought I was, I thought I was, like, a car. I was going in for an NCT <laughs> and I'd be able to go back out and I'd be normal. I was in for a shock as well. I got that shock as well, you know. I, 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 they opened my eyes up to the effects of the family member 
you know, the effects of all my madness, the chaotic behaviours and stuff on the people close to me around me, you know. So that's I just wanted to say that, you know, because I completely associated with what you just said. Yeah, and you, you were talking there about um, not being able to imagine or, you know, have, needing a couple of tablets to go to the, the shop and... I, I was totally like that, like, I could never imagine being able to function in life without some sort of a Valium or a Xanax or something in me to help me, to give me the strength and courage to go to a shop because I was so full of fear and anxiety that if I didn't have them tranquilizers in me, it was just, I, I could go into a shop sober and get a panic attack or fucking run out, you know. I, I often ran out of a shop or if in city centre, I wouldn't dream of it, you know, unless I was medicated. And the thought of living a life without that medication, it's just, I couldn't fathom it. But I was so miserable on the medication, and I didn't see a way out. There were suicidal thoughts there for me too, and sometimes I acted on it. But you know what, we're very lucky that we weren't successful. And like yourself, I was able to get into a treatment centre too. And for people that's watching, that's in the place you were, I was and Timmy was, where you're on drugs, or maybe you're not on drugs, but you're in a place where it's just dark, you don't see a way out, and you feel like ending your life. There always is a way out. There's always a way out. But you won't be able to do it by yourself. You will just have to link in with somebody, mention it to somebody. If you feel like you're going to take your life, just say it to somebody. you never know what would happen. Um, and you were lucky enough that you didn't die, and you managed to get into Table Edge. So, for people watching, what is Table Edge like? And on a day-to-day basis, and how did you find it? So, like, Table Lodge, like, again, as I said, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, and I went down, like, and I went down, and, and, and Table Lodge, to me and for me, um, it brought routine into my life. Do you know what I mean? Up every morning to meditate, you go down, you all sit, you have breakfast together. They put a structure and routine in your life. And, like, the first few days I was down there, the first few weeks I was down there, I was still suicidal, I was still... I was about 48 kilos, I was yellow in the face and the sodium, the hospital pumped into me and I was crying every day. And I didn't want to be there, like, mm. I didn't, like. But I was down there, I remember on the second day, down there, you know, you have to tell your story when you go down, like, so, like, you just introduce yourself to the group of people and you say a few words about yourself and whatever. <laughs> when I was down there, there was fellas writing fucking yeah, four pages about themselves and up the front, talking like they were in the fucking opera, like. And then it got to my turn to do mine, like, and... I was sitting up the front shaking, like, and I said my name, and you know, I mentioned my buddy's name that passed away a few years back, like, he would have been my best friend for a long time, and I mentioned his name, and I burst out crying, and I couldn't finish my story, like, I couldn't get it out, like, and, like, I just... Take our time. It's yeah. hurt, like, do you know what I mean? Take It's just bringing it back, like... Yeah, yeah. that's normal. That's completely normal. Why I often, Jesus, James, I tell you, the I laugh and be on the show there, like, I, yeah. like we have a snake, you know, it's normal. Yeah. Him, but it's know? just showing, like, you know, when you're in treatment like that and your, the drugs are taken away from you, you're left with the reasons why you're using. And it's just, like, you, we use drugs as a way of medicating ourselves so we don't have to deal with this stuff. But there comes a point in your life where the medication stops working and it's time to just head, hit a head on. Yeah. And in treatment, we all cried. And you know, we're all yeah. going through tough times, and but it's the safe place to do it. 100%, do you know what I mean? 100%. And you're well supported in it. Yeah, like down there and stuff. Like, do you know what I mean? The first week, the first week passed, and like I was still not opening up. Like, I wouldn't, I, w- I couldn't bring myself to, like, do you know what I mean? I couldn't bring myself. I thought it was, it's not the cool thing to do to talk about how I'm fucking feeling. Like, do you know what I mean? I, cu- I can't do that because people will wind me up over that. And couldn't bring myself to talking about what was actually going on for me and I was just making myself worse and like I suppose throughout the week or two down there that that I started listening to people like do you know what I mean like I started listening to people opening up about what was going on and stuff from like and and I remember when I just started myself to even say a little bit about how I was feeling on that day like and I went up the stairs to bed and it was like a fucking weight lifted off my chest and I'd say it was about two weeks in where I said I'm going to give this fucking thing a go like do you know what I mean mm-hmm. I'm going to give this a shot like and I got out of the bed the next day and I went down to my fucking counselling session like and I started to talk about little things like I couldn't bring myself to fucking talk about do you know like mm. I was there and I was trying my best and every single day I got a little bit about what was going on inside my head out 
I felt a little bit better at night. Mm. And that progressed on, like, do you know what I mean? Like, and I was able to speak about more things, and I was comfortable speaking about more things. Why well, having a cry when I'm talking about it? But by fuck, I felt better that night, like. Mm-hmm. The power of talking to someone is unreal, isn't it? It's crazy, and like, that's something I missed to say there as well, do you know what I mean? When I was suicidal and stuff, like, I couldn't bring myself to opening up. I couldn't tell anyone about this, like, and, and like, from the treatment and stuff, no, like, it's... You have to talk to someone like mm-hmm. it, I don't even think it has to be someone professionally trained once it's someone close to you that you can you trust. That's your first start, like do you know what I mean? Like And even if you don't have somebody like that, Smartons, Pierre the Host, there's Pierre people Pierre the Host hundred percent. They'll all listen. One hundred percent, like, do you know what I mean? Um That's it, like talking, like talking, it's fucking It's, it's essential. It's weird how it works, like you know, if, if if someone like there is always help there. It's just like myself and James. One of the main reasons for starting this podcast was to let people know that there are services there. See, when when someone is struggling with the mental health or caught up in addiction, they can't see past the fog of whatever's going on from what's keeping them in their in addiction. But they, there are plenty of services there for for people suffering mental health and addiction. They're all over the city. It's just, you just need to kind of tell people and ask people for a bit of help. 100%. You know? that's, that's the key, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's the key. For help, like. But I think you another point you brought up there when you were in treatment was um, the structure to your day that you had. I remember when I went to treatment as well in San Francis Farm, which is a different type of treatment centre, yeah. but essentially you were structured to your day. You're, you're not allowed to lie in bed and wallowing it all day. And I remember... My first couple of weeks up there, you know, I'd be lying in the bed depressed and didn't want to come out of my room or didn't want to get dressed, whatever. And my counsellor, John, used to come up and he used to kind of prep me up, like, and he used to, he was a small kind of man, but he was a bodybuilder in his days, he was built like that. And he was there, stand up now, James, stand up now, he said, and say this to yourself, in spite of how I'm feeling today, I will show up for life. In spite of how I'm feeling today, I will show up for life. You can feel what you want, but your feelings don't have to drive your behaviour and don't have to rule your day. Feel it and, and go about your day and you'll you get control. And over. Because I was driven by my... How I felt was how I went about my day. If I was depressed, my day was going to be depressed. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, it was the, one of the best piece of advice I ever got. Because, no, like you can't go about your day being ruled by your head, by your feelings. You know, like There's days where we don't want to get up. We don't want to go to school or work or we don't want to shop for life, but... You have to, and it's about gain and control over your head. Why leave ten seconds of negative thought affect your whole day, like affect your whole week, like? Yeah, and that, and and that's what we used to do. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I can still do it. I can still do it today to this day. Like I can still do it. Like, and I just have to catch myself, and I have to fucking snap myself out of it. And it's okay to do it, but but, but once I once I have the awareness of when I'm doing it. Um, the, the key for me was about this was, and I've spoken about it before is when these thoughts come up in your mind, you know, whatever it is, be it shame or fear or guilt or whatever, when they're there, you're going to feel the emotion that's going to come to that. And what that is, is whatever experience you had in your life. Say, for instance, I've I done something to someone years ago and I, I felt a lot of guilt over it. So I had the thought, then I start feeling guilt, right? Next, all of a sudden, my mind... To justify this feeling, my mind is starting to think of other guilty thoughts of other stuff that I done to other people and the guilt. And what that is, is then it's strengthening and strengthening. Right? So what I what helped me there to stop all that, because I could go for two weeks. I lived my life like that, constantly in the negative pattern, spiraling down. And what I done was through the meditation, through meditation I strengthened my awareness, and I was able to catch these thoughts and hold on to the feeling then when they come after the thought and just watch them and stand back it's like the observer you know I know no, it, it might sound like a lot of mad stuff to some people but that was how I learned that was how I learned because I wouldn't be very um, I wouldn't be your guy that would start reading books and stuff and retain information because I couldn't wake you because I was always in survival mode you know always kind of full of the adrenaline to survive you know so that was my method that was my method 
you know, I know James is kind of the type of person that he retains information and he's able to understand it and move forward with that. You know? I think uh, Timmy used meditation not to gain an awareness and get, get an understanding of how he was and being able to manage it, whereas I I didn't really use meditation, but what I used was kind of looking at philosophy and sociology and psychology and understanding me, my behaviour, my community, the world, and it just helped me understand like that it's not all, I'm not a bad, I'm not a broken person, you know, I'm a product of my community, my environment, and I have my flaws and everything. I don't know, just education helped me, meditation helped Timmy, um, and everybody finds something. So if we can just pick it up then when you're coming to the end of your table lodge, did you have your aftercare or did you go back home? How so, was it? So like, you know, I was talking about table lodge and stuff there, like, and the way I say it, I started opening up and I started feeling better and stuff. It wasn't all playing sailing down there, like, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it wasn't, like, it was it was tough. Like, they break you down to build you back up again, like, bringing you in for fucking family meetings with your family and stuff like and everyone's crying in there and then you feel worse again about yourself but it's just breaking you down to build you back up and like when I was in Table Lodge like they suggested to go to secondary treatment centre to me because I was young like do you know what I mean like and that, that, that this would fucking the way I looked at it is it was like if I went to the secondary treatment centre I was going to be fucking cured that's what in my head at the time that's what I thought was going to happen like and I got out of Table Lodge anyway and I went back home for a while and I remember I came home and I couldn't leave the gaff, like. Like, I didn't tell anyone that I was going away, like I was going to treatment, not that anyone fucking... So I came out of treatment and I had more texts for bags than I did for fucking where I was, what's going on, where, why did you disappear off the planet, like, do you know what I mean? And, and that kind of... I really found out who my friends were mm. when I got, when I came out there, like. But I, I, I done my assessment for Fellowship House and I got into Fellowship House, which is a secondary treatment centre in Cork. And like it was supposed to be a three month, uh, supposed to be three months in Fellowship House. Like, and as I said, you know, I thought I was going to be fucking cured. Like, I was like, this is, someone suggested this to me now to do this. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'll be as good as cured. And like, do you know what I mean? And like, it was there, and I was tipping away at Fellowship House again. Like, and you know, Fellowship House, like, is. It gives you a bit more freedom than your first treatment centre. Like you're allowed out in the evenings for meetings and stuff. Like, and I ended up going to the bookies instead of a meeting. Gambling, like, and gambling was never something I was into before, really. But I needed something, mm. and I got asked to leave the treatment centre after a month over gambling. Like again, Mikey making a mistake, like. I remember sitting outside the door of Fellowship House crying again, being like, you fucking failed, like, do you know what I mean? You fucking failed again, like, look at you, you've done it again, like. Because in my head at the time, it was, I got through this and I'm cured, like. And then I'm sitting on my step with my suitcase next to me, like. I'll, I'll never forget that fair or failure I had that day, like. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't, and like. Instead of again fucking sobbing and how I felt, like, I, I got up and I got on with it and I went to two meetings that day. Narcotics Anonymous meetings, which I had been introduced to within the time I was waiting to get into Fellowship House from Table Lodge. I was able to contact people I'd met in these meetings, and they brought me to the meetings, and I went to two meetings for every day for a fucking long time, like, do you know what I mean? Now my routine was gone, like, do you know what I mean, of treatment centre, getting up, doing everything and stuff, like. So, actually, funny enough, I came up to Churchfield Community Trust. Um, a friend of mine that I'd met in meetings was up there and stuff like, and, and because I was after getting thrown off one C scheme with Fellowship House, I wasn't allowed on to the next C scheme. But I still went up every day. I wasn't getting paid for it, but I still went up every day to find or to get a routine for myself. Do you know what I mean? I, I was getting my dole, whatever, like, I owed my fucking bollocks, so I wasn't really getting my dole, because all that was gone back to what I was paying off, like, and I was up in search of this community trust, and, and, like, I didn't have to be there, but I needed routine in my life, like, I took a little bit from what I learned in the treatment centres I was in, that I needed it, that I needed it, like, and up in church of community trust, I met one of my best friends, I know, still today, like, do you know what I mean, and he introduced me to martial arts, while I was up there, 
and he brought me training and Mikey had found his new addiction then like do you know what I mean like mm. every single day I was actually bunking Churchfield Community Trust then to yeah. go down to train in, during the day mm. before uh, you went to the martial arts part of your story which is a big part yeah. uh, I just want to let people know Churchfield Community Trust is a charity here in Churchfield for people in Cork City um, that, that are in early recovery or have come from prison and they do kind of do training and education for the 12 to 18 months job, isn't it? 100% yeah, did. Uh, like, I wasn't on the scheme. You're on the outreach. I was on the outreach. Yeah. And from that, then I ended up getting on the scheme from that. Yeah. But like, again, they, they introduce routine to your life. Yeah. There's counselling there if you want to see a counsellor. There's computer courses. There's woodwork courses. There's gardening courses. There's trips. You're again surrounded with like-minded people it's a stepping stone to coming from institution to our treatment centre to the real world again, it's the big bad good, world. It's like. a very good support for people in early recovery that may find it hard. Like when you, when you said you went home after coming from treatment, a lot of people just go back into relapse because they're back in the same environment. People's the same places people. and things like this. But if, this you have, if you have the likes of um, a fellowship house or a church free community trust or some aftercare, you can be minded and support through the first year until you become more confident in your recovery. Now, you touched on one thing that was very important there. You started looking at gambling when, when you were in addiction. Gambling was never something that you wanted to do. But now that the drugs and drink was taken away, the gambling becomes attractive. And it, it happens a lot where when we come into it, when we put down the drink and the drugs, other stuff starts creeping into your life. And the big thing that happens, people in early recovery that they don't really talk about, is sex and pornography. And I'd seen countless fellas being dragged back into addiction that started with going on with women and girls going on with men and just filling the void that drugs filled with relationships, you know. So, and, and it can be gambling and it can be spending and it can be work, but it's just about... You know, something you obsess over, like exactly. And like I've gone through a lot of them, like from dating apps to fucking social media to fucking buying clothes for myself to fucking it's just an escape, like trying to find something to escape again, like always something, like do you know where the penny dropped there as I was listening to your story there, and something really stuck out to me. You remember fellowship through your other house, and you were sitting. That's when it all changed. That was your moment. That's when that's when you knew you, you had to do this for you. That's what just stood out for me. Like, you went to two meetings that day instead of going to gambling and the bookies. Like, mm. for me, that that sounds like similarities. That knows, like, what happened to me in a cell when, when it, it just, it, the light bulb went off my head. You know, I think that's very important for people to understand and to remember when it actually stops, you know, because no one was catching your hand in anymore. No. You were on your own, you had your suitcase, and here we go. You went to two meetings that night and you started doing things then for you. You know what I mean? You weren't doing them to stay in Fellowship House anymore. You were doing them for Mikey, because you knew Mikey wanted to, to live a better life. No, 100%. It is a time in your life, and it doesn't even have to be for people in addiction. In all of our lives, you're, you're not happy with your life. There'll come a time in your life where you're met at a crossroads, and it's like, right, Mikey, James, Timmy, right, James, you can keep doing what you're doing and live a miserable life, or you can do something different. And that's what you were met with, and Timmy, and me, and anybody that's looking to change their lives, that's what you're met with. And, like, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to a personal decision. Like, you can't get somebody into recovery you have to want it and you were at a stage where it was like even though you're after getting fucked out of the treatment you still wanted it and you made it happen 100% you have to do it for yourself like do you know what I mean like like I couldn't be remember there like I was like I have to fucking do this that the other to make my parents fucking ha- proud of me and this stuff again and stuff but like I need to do this to make this person happy and I was like when I actually stopped thinking of all that and I was like right I'm going to do the next step best thing for myself which in the end will pass on to the next best thing for my family, for my friends and everyone around me. And again, when I realised that, like it was just, it was just the next step in my recovery. Like, mm. and uh, tell us about your uh, jujitsu. So how you got into the martial arts? So like, there's a jujitsu club there. It was in Blackpool at the time, and a few members of Narcotics Anonymous were training there and stuff like. And 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 they brought me down, and you know, I trained martial arts when I was young, like. 
never jiu-jitsu, just boxing, like, but, like, I got into it, like, and again, I got obsessed, like, do you know what I mean? I really get obsessed with things, like, and it's, it, it was, it was a place I could go, and I was out of my head, because, like, although I wasn't drinking or taking drugs, I now had to deal with what was going on in my head, you know what I mean? I had to deal with what was going on upstairs, like, without suppressing it with drinking drugs anymore, like, these thoughts just don't go away when you stop the drinking drugs, so jiu-jitsu and training with the lads down there was the only time I could get away from my head. It was an escape for me, but it was a healthy escape and I was working on myself physically, mentally. And I still think like if I didn't end up going out to jiu-jitsu with the lads when I did with Barry and Ben, like, that I wouldn't be here cleaning it over today still. like What the boys done for me is crazy, like, do you know what I mean? And like, I'll be forever grateful for them for that, like. Mm-hmm. And they know, like, I keep saying it to them, they give out to me enough for mentioning this now, but, like... Mm-hmm. That's okay, Mikey. But, but like... But you, like to, you also have to give yourself credit. Yeah. Seriously. You have to give yourself credit, boy. Because you had it within you to get where you are now. You know? You just need... We all need people to help us. We can never do it on our own. Some people think they can do this on their own. It's impossible. We all need someone just to encourage us to... Just give us a hand when we need a hand. And give us those few nice words when we need them, you know. Yeah. Tell us, do you know what, you're worth it. You know, keep going, you're worth it. You deserve a good life. You know, we all need somebody to give us those comments and to be able to, at times, to give us a load of shit, basically fuck us out of it because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Like. Yeah. You know, you have to listen. And this is a vital thing, you know, for somebody that's in early recovery, their head is still messed up. So whenever you are struggling, if you can't get to a meeting, pick the phone up. We spoke about it yeah, before the podcast. It. Picking the phone up is absolutely vital. You Again, know, it brings us back to talking to someone. No yeah. matter what stage of your life at, talking about someone, about what's going on for you inside, will help. It does help. People just need to actually do it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, um, Jiu-jitsu, like, training with the boys, like, remember I got to travel to fucking Lisbon and all, like, do you know what I mean, like, um, my first holiday in years, the last holiday before that was Amsterdam, and I don't remember much of it, like, and hmm. I remember I was, like, a child at Christmas, like, and then two weeks beforehand, I didn't even have a passport sorted, so I had a passport, but it was just my picture page, all the other pages were ripped out due to other things, like, so I had no passport, so I was rushing around to get a passport and stuff, and I remember I was on that plane, and I was, like, a child, like, do you know what I mean? And and I got over there and I started competing, like, do you know what I mean? I actually got bronze in the Europeans that time. Brilliant. Uh, over there and I've travelled to different places since and I got silver in the Europeans at Blue Belt now in Nogi last October. And these are all just things that, like, a year, a year and a half previous, I was in a treatment centre and a year and a half, I only was training a year and a half with this, like, and I yeah. go over and I get second in Europe doing it. Like, I asked the fellow, uh, that I beat in the last run, I was like, how long are you doing this? He was like, six years or something like, mm. it was just like, you know what, and, it was due to, through jiu-jitsu and stuff, and through martial arts, where I could actually be proud of myself a little bit, like, yeah, because like, I'd be big into, giving myself abuse, like, do you know what I mean, like, if you're not doing good enough, you're doing, you know, that's just something I struggle with, and I accept that, but like, through jiu-jitsu, and through competing, and through, doing bits and pieces like I could actually say mm. I was proud of myself like which is something that I hadn't said in a very long time before that day and before I got competing like I'm proud of myself because so many times we say oh, even if you fucking forgot your keys now to go to the car you go oh fuck's sake what you do that for mm. what do you you forgot your keys 30 seconds you're going to get them and go back but the way my head works is I'd be giving myself fucking shit over doing it mm. And that can happen every day, like, and, and we, we're just built at giving each other, I give myself shit all the time, and that's before anyone else gives me shit, I give it to myself. I can associate you that Mikey in a big way, boy, and that's the truth. If I drop something on the floor, even just uh, something, if I, if I, like, I'm in a cast now at the moment, and if I'm bringing a cup of tea from the kitchen into the front room, and I spill it, my self-critic goes straight in. You can't even bring a cup of tea in. The other it's the word. I was trying to think of critic, but you I'm know, not very good at big words. Like. Self-critic. Yeah. It's just it's just trying to become more aware of that self-critic 
and just understanding where it comes from you know the self-critic where it actually stems from in my case it stems from early on in childhood and different areas you know and, and that's where it came from and the perfectionist 100%. you have to do everything right everything has to be 100 percent. you know everything doesn't have to be 100 percent. you can be good at a job and do it well but like the worst part of it is if you give yourself shit because it's not perfect and that's the, the, the perfectionist and the self-critic i think they go hand in hand and also i can really yeah. understand where you're coming from that way and a lot of people have that yeah but it's just again accepting it like we have it and deal with it like do you know mm. what i mean and like that's something i'm still working on today like is that little self-critic little fucking small mic going on up in my head like do you know what i mean something i still work on today like and what's the plans for the future for you? So, like, you know, when you brought up perfectionism there, now I was just going straight and chatting about my work, like, because, like, I am a fucking perfectionist when it comes down to everything, do you know what I mean? Like, I obsess over things, and it's like another fucking addiction, like, I just get hooked mm-hmm. on fucking things like that, like, and, you know, I'm a chef by trade, like, I've been chefing since I was about 16, on and off, like, different fucking thing, but, like, you know, recently I started through COVID-19 and the lockdown and stuff, like, just so, you know, the first one or two weeks, like, I had no job left, over it, and, and I was in a very dark place in my head because my routine was gone, and again, I stick to routine, big time, like, as in, like, you talk to my friends there now, like, I'll be here at this time, and I'll be here at this time, and I won't be a minute late, like, I, I just have my days built up in routine, like, I know what I'm doing for the whole day before I get up that morning, do you know what I mean? And that's just using what I learned from treatments in. My routine was shot when this whole COVID nineteen thing came in. I had no work. I couldn't train. I couldn't, couldn't do anything, and I was in a really dark spot again in my head. So I was like, I need to do something, and I started something I always wanted to do was share my recipes and my food with people. And over COVID nineteen lockdown and stuff, I started to do that. And like, again, I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to do voiceovers. I don't know how to use a camera. So I took fucking pictures of each step of what I was doing. And I wrote, I took the pictures when I was cooking, I saved them, and then I wrote them all up afterwards, and I put it on my story, and then I put up a post of the recipe and stuff, like, and I started doing one every day, like, and it just blew up, do you know what I mean, like, I went into lockdown with less than 2,000 followers on Instagram, and due to putting up pictures of my dinner, I got, at one stage, 13.5, it's after dropping back now, but since I haven't been consistent, like. Change up your menu. <laughs> yeah, it's just time again. Now I'm back to the real world, but like, yeah. do you know, like, I improvised on, on on something when my head was in a bad situation to fill my time, mm. and by doing that, I was helping people cooking. I had people from all over the world sending me pictures of what they have taken from my recipe. People in Australia, Germany, America, sending me pictures, of, and I was fucked up over it. To be honest, like, is like. Couldn't accept it. I couldn't accept. Yeah. I, I couldn't accept it like that. That people were getting something for what I could do, and yeah. and people were actually getting something and, and enjoying what I was able to to give out. And, and since lockdown, like my head has changed a little bit. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I was over lockdown as well. I started selling cheesecake pots, and I donated money to pay the house from what I sold and stuff. You know, <coughs> sorry, just because like. Again, like I didn't use Pierre House's services, like, but I use I, I use services like that, like, uh, mm. and I see where I am now today from that, like. So I said I wanted to do something for them, and then I I, I donated the money, the profit for the first two weeks, GCA selling them and stuff. But after doing the the selling things and doing things myself, I was like, I can actually do this, like, do you know what I mean? Like, so I'm actually in the middle of setting up my own company. Um, scary, like. Mm-hmm. it's very very scary like, like a, a ready made meal type of company so like I want to use my background in nutrition and uh, and food with my training and lifestyle kind of thing to make like tailored meal plans for people but not just a meal plan on a piece of paper I'll actually cook the food as well oh, yeah. and like what's the name of that company going to be Mikey I don't know but Mikey's yeah. Meals Mikey's Meals like I, I haven't slept now for three days. I'm thinking of a name for this. Do you know what? So like, it'll come to you. That's Mikey. it. Like I'm not rushing. Yeah. I'm not rushing it. Like because like, mm-hmm. I've an awful habit of wanting things and wanting it now. Like so, I don't want to rush this. Like you yeah. know what I mean. Um, 
and like I, I, I'm, I still have a job as well that I'm going to keep doing, and I'm going to do both of them for a while. I, well, I'll continue to do both of them, um, and I think I need to do that just for I need to put in the extra hours to appreciate what I can actually do and, and what what can what can I do in my spare time that I would only be sitting down in my. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So that's kind of why I want to again and yeah. again it's a project for myself, it's a goal for myself, like. You know, a big thing for me is setting goals, lads. I don't know, like, but like, I remember when I came out of treatment first, my first goal was to buy a pair of Air Max. One of them, like, was to buy a pair of Air Max. I was saving away money every week. I bought my pair of Air Max, and now the goal I'm working at the moment is opening my own business, like, going out as a sole trader. And that's in less than three years, like. Mm. And that gives me fucking goosebumps to think, like, what I can do or what anyone can do with a small bit of a mindset change and a small bit of a lifestyle change. And, uh, and when you put your mind to something, what you can achieve. Mm. It's when you put down the drinking drugs, you've endless possibilities open to you. 100%. And things that you thought you'd never do, all of a sudden they become, you know what, I actually can do that. I have a care, jobs. The last job I was in before this one was my first job I left yeah. for myself. Every other job I got fired from. Yeah. Even that to me was was something like... Mikey, mm. um your story is is amazing. Really, it's come through and to be sitting here and to, to talk to us, like, and I can associate with a lot of your story, you know, with, with the mental health issues and stuff, you know. And one of the big things as well is the point out is the age that you were when you put down a drink and a drug, you know. There's a lot of young people watch this show as well. You know, can have you anything to say to the young people that are watching this show in terms of thinking that they're too young? Do you know, what? I remember when I was going into treatment, like I was like, I'm fucking twenty two. I don't have, I don't have a drink problem. I don't have a drug problem. Like it's a fucking phase. By fuck, it wasn't a phase. Like, like it doesn't matter if you're sixteen years of age or sixty fucking seventy years of age. Drinking drugs, if, it, if it's affecting your mental health. Affecting you as a person, like it needs to stop. Like, do you know what I mean it, it does? It. And like the amount of suicides and stuff that's going on in people my age and younger and stuff at the moment, down to drinking drugs, like, do you know what I mean? It's crazy, like, and it's a topic not spoken about enough, like, at all. Like, and like anyone young out there that thinks they even might have a problem with drink drugs, if I know you, if I don't know you, drop me a message, like. How can people contact you, Mikey? Through Instagram. So, like, at Mikey Olden is my Instagram, and I put up everything, food, mental health, training, healthy lifestyle, all over that. And, like, I've had people message me that I've never met in my life, and mm-hmm. I've spoken with them. I've, I've guided them in the right way and stuff. Like, I can't fucking work miracles, but it's... I found the people I could relate to most when I came into recovery first are people in a closer age to me. There wasn't much of us there. But I could relate to him because it was the same age as him and stuff. Mm. And it was only further down the line where I could start actually appreciating the experience that the older lads had and stuff. And it's just a learning curve. Yeah. But talk, like, open up, like, anyone young, anyone old, you, ha- you, have, to, you have to speak up about how you feel. Like, if you feel good, if you feel bad, if you feel shit, talk about it. Mention it to a friend, mention it to Pieta House, Martins, you can get their numbers online, you can ring them, like, Mention it to someone and I guarantee you that you will feel a little bit better afterwards. And every time again you speak about it, you will continue to feel a little bit better. I'm living proof of that, like. Yeah. I am, like. And I suppose it's very important to just get over that little bit of fear that you have of speaking to someone. Yeah, yeah. And it's just about opening up and leaving yourself vulnerable. And I suppose it's the fear of... You think you're the only Judged. one thinking like that, like, yeah. do you know what I mean? You think you're the only one thinking like that, that no one yeah. has, is, is doing it, has ever thought how you're thinking right now and, and, and it's different and you'll be vulnerable if you speak about it and stuff. Drop all that. Yeah. I guarantee there'll be someone out there that's thinking the exact same as you. I realised that when I came into recovery and you chat to people in meetings and I thought I was the only one that ever done this or the only one that this ever happened to me. And there's 13 people in the room there that the exact same thing has happened. They're coming over saying, I would to that, I remember that. And it's just like, every time that happens, you're like, I'm not alone, I'm not alone. And I find once you get into your head that you're not alone and no one is alone out there, like, do you know what I mean? You, you, you become part of something then, don't comfortable you? Comfortable and the uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, and then yeah. it's just, 
it's 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 crazy like do you know what i mean yeah, and look if people want to contact you we leave the link to your instagram in the description of the podcast whether yeah. it's on spotify or youtube whatever and they can go and follow you hit you up with a direct mail and and what have you and you link in with them um, anything else to tell no um, just want to say thank you very much Mikey it's been a pleasure having you here like, and you've been very very honest with your story you know um, and that's the only way to be you know you won't you you won't believe how many people this is going to help particularly young people and not even young people other people that are suffering mental health issues you're going to show them that there's a way back it doesn't have to be you just have to ask for the help you know so you know, I just want to thank you for coming on and being so honest about your story you know and me personally i can associate with a lot of your your issues that's gone on for you you know and um from, from what i can see you're gonna go very very far in whatever you put your hand to because you have the energy and you have the drive and i wish you all the success yeah i know echo what timmy was saying there and just before we finish i'd be very keen on tasting those cheesecakes <laughs> I'll drop them up a few on Thursday. Do buy another bottle. Thanks a million. Boys, thanks again for having me on. Like, oh, thank you. You're more than welcome. Um, do you know, it, it's a topic that's not spoken about enough. Like, especially within young people, as I said. Like, and, and I'm blessed and grateful to have the opportunity to share a bit of my story. And if one person gets something from what I had to say today and what mm. yourself said today, like, yeah, that's job done. Like, do you know what I mean? If one person gets it, like, yeah, well said. And uh, well said. Right, thanks again. Thanks again, Mikey. Thanks, Mikey. Um, Thank you. Myself and Timmy. Um, we'll see you next week, lads. See you later. Thank you. That was good, wasn't it? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.